0: Hey, everybody. Just wanted to give you a quick heads up about this episode. We had a slight technical issue about 10 minutes in and goes from sounding like I have a good mic to like I'm giving a conference call inside of a shower. So I apologize in advance for the audio issues on my end, but it's a great interview and I thought it was too good to to not share it. So sorry for the inconvenience, but I hope you enjoy it and learn a lot. everybody welcome to the uncommon comedy podcast uh i'm excited today we got a fantastic episode i feel like i say that every time but this is uh it's it's true uh today i got a very special guest a very good friend of mine very funny comedian he performs all over the world he performs for the troops he performs all over the country uh, and he's also a uh crowd uh audience warm. uh I can speak. He's also the audience warm-up comic for uh, the Conan O'Brien show. He's a very, very, very funny guy. And please welcome my dear friend, Mr. Gary Cannon, to the show. Gary. Hi, Brian. What's up, buddy?
1: It's so you know what's so funny about these podcasts and Zoom calls. It's I think people are seeing more of each other now than they had before. It's crazy because it's bringing people together. It's nice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a uh, it's a good way to reach out and and connect yeah. to everybody. But and you and you get to see their houses, which is nice. <laughs> well, see, you're you're covering something up. That's a
1: backdrop. Yes. <laughs> you can see my crappy house.
0: Yeah, There's I guess no dead. Running. I have dead bodies behind here, so it's uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's really more of a legal uh, issue. I do, so I do
1: love how you see people. Like, it, haven't you noticed that's kind of the truth when people do. Like Zoom calls and their celebrities, you're trying to figure out like where they are and what their you know their situation is. I I saw. Did you see when Tom Hanks hosted Saturday Night Live? It was like the first virtual SNL that they did, and he hosted it. And he was in this little kitchen. And I said to my wife, I said, "That's not his house. There's there just <laughs> it, it was maybe it was a guest house or whatever, but there was no way this tiny kitchen. And it was nice, but there was no way." That that was his place, but it's funny to kind of analyze like where people are and what it looks like behind them.
0: Right, absolutely, and it's it's always it always seems at least for like sports shows or whatever, it's it's always the bookshelf, you know, and then they got to like display the bookshelf and then all the the different books that they have to show that they're you know oh literate. And... Well,
1: I had to laugh because if you've watched the news lately, you're down in San Diego. I'm about mm-hmm. in L.A., but. Uh, the, one of the weather guys, Dallas Rains. you know who that guy is, right? You from mm-hmm. Dallas Rains. So he's been doing the weather from his house. And I'm like, not only does he have the easiest gig in TV when he has to go to the studio, but now he's walking from his kitchen into the living room just doing the weather. I'm like, this couldn't be any easier than it was. I mean, like, I, I bet the hardest part is probably him putting the suit on. You know what I'm saying? Right. Sta- standing in the <laughs> fireplace. I'm like, wow, TV weatherman make be pretty good money. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, sure. I I uh, I just want to say in the beginning my, one of my favorite things uh, about you and, and that I, I love so much about you and watching you perform is you are absolutely fearless um, with the material um, that you you you'll not that you're you're dirty or, you know or anything like that or filthy or anything but like you're kind of like a uh, you do a lot of crowd work and you're kind of like a, a sophisticated modern Don Rickles if I can uh, give that as a compliment I you love know. It. So it's not, uh, it's not all racial or, you know, anything like that. It's just, uh, you know, kind of, you know, uh, busting on people here and there. And then you'll even bust on the headliners that you're, you're working with when you're trying, you know, I saw you work with Ralphie May and you, you say comments into the mic and to his crowd and just busting on him and you would hear him laugh and just, uh, and I love that. And the other thing you do too, is you, you just speak what's in the mind of every comic as the show's going on. So most comics will think, oh, this isn't going well. You'll come out and go, oh, this isn't going well. And it just, right. it just adds a whole different level of um, hilarity to the show, especially the comics die in the back watching you. And I, I just – I love that. I think it's uh, an amazing trait that you have.
1: Yeah, one of the I things I love it. to do – one of the things I love to do is when I'm on a show with a bunch of other comics and I love like being sandwiched in the middle. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the first line is always – hey, guys, this is where the cover charge starts to make sense. And I, just, I love throwing out that line. And then when I get the first laugh, I always say, hey, comics in the back, this is called a laugh. And I'll, I'll never forget, I, this was uh, a couple of months ago, right before the pandemic and everything kind of shut down. We were at Comedy and Magic Club, and Comedy and Magic mm-hmm. Club every weekend does the 10-comic show. So everybody goes up, they do seven minutes, boom, boom, boom. And what I usually do is... If a joke doesn't work, I will say, hey, if you guys don't start laughing, I'm gonna bring up XYZ comic again. And then they'll start moaning. I'll be like, guys, don't moan. You weren't laughing either. And it's funny It's funny if I do it when I know the person, whether it's like an, an Amir K or like a Ryan right. Kylie, whatever. But I remember one night I did it And it was a guy, and uh, I won't say his name, but he did not do well. He didn't do well. And he was a shorter guy. He was a very uh, short, like under five foot. So when I said, if you guys don't start laughing, I'm going to bring the short comic back up here again. And they knew immediately. And I I usually don't like to risk that just because I always feel like I need to have a relationship with that person to kind of start making fun. But I did it just because he did do so poorly and the audience knew it. And, you know, I mean, listen, you know, there's been times where, you know, I've hosted shows and, you know, I work with Steve Byrne a lot and Steve's the king of allowing guest sets, sort of like what Ralphie was. Like, right. for those who don't know, a guest set is just somebody who does a few minutes of time between the opener and the feature, just five, six minutes. So Steve always allows people to come up and do sets. And boy, oh boy, there was one night where he allowed this guy to come up and it was just horrible and just he did very poorly. And not only was the material bad, uh, he just looked like he was brand new and he was racist. I mean, he really pissed off the crowd. And I just remember going up there and just being like, hey, does anybody else from the audience want to try this? And it just, it really, (laughs) it really diffuses them. I mean, listen, you you can't go up there and just be like, hey, how about a round of applause for Larry? Like, you're like, no, Larry bombed. It was bad. You know what I mean? So you, you can't go up there, you know, cheerleading. Like, how great was that? I mean, Right. You know, that's the whole warm up of the or the idea of the host or even a warm up guy. But you know you have to acknowledge what they just saw. And I God I got to remember Brian. Like years ago, and it was so funny because he went on to be an executive at Comedy Central. But we were up in Seattle and we were doing a gig, and there was a guy uh, who went up on stage hadn't done it in forever, and Steve encouraged him, and he got off stage, and I was dumping on him and dumping on him and dumping on him, and that was getting bigger laughs than his set. And it was just funny because later, you know, years later, he turned out to be like this huge executive <laughs> at Comedy Central. It's like, oh, no, you know, not that they were booking me for anything anyway, but right. it's just really, really funny. And now what's crazy is Comedy Central seems to be going extinct. I think they're going out of business from what wow. I understood. Yeah. So but but I do I do love that just kind of, you know, interpersonal, you know, bringing them in like, you know, I, I, it's it's so funny years and years ago when I first started you know kind of hitting the road I did a gig in uh, Appleton Wisconsin and I went up there and uh, I, I was featuring and I was just really off the rails and going crazy and I remember the headliner came up to me and was furious like just furious because mm-hmm. he didn't want to follow it he didn't know me and you know you have that thing in your head do you pull back and maybe not do as good but you're going to please the headliner or do you do what you're going to do? I mean, what what would you have done in that situation? Because then I'll share the story of what I did.
0: Right. <clears throat> I would probably, gosh, that would be, uh, I guess I would probably end up pulling back just because I want to work the week, you know, and just appease that. And then, you know, realize you're probably never going to work with them again.
1: So basically, you know, it's always funny to me when you have a comic, like like somebody that you don't know, and you're going to a venue where they're not selling tickets and they'll ask you not to do crowd work. And you're like, well, what's the reason for that? I mean, that's kind of what I do. I mean, that's, you know, why this club hired me specifically, because they just know that I can bring that to the table. And I remember, you know, it was a five night run somewhere. And the first night I didn't do crowd work just to appease the headliner. And I was so uncomfortable and it just wasn't fun. And I was like, well, why am I up here suffering for the week When he doesn't own the club, when Hmm. he's not the one who made the decision, he's not the guy selling tickets. Listen, if you get a call from Brian Regan and he says, can you open for me? But can you not swear? Can you not do crowd? Of course, that's the game, right? Right. But but when you're working with somebody that you've never worked with before, they didn't request you. They're not paying you out of their pocket. They're not cutting you a percentage of their money. You guys were both just randomly placed there on the weekend. I got to be honest with you. I don't think that that's my issue to deal with. I think it's the club's issue. Yeah. I think, I think maybe then it was a bad booking. The club should have looked into it a little bit better about, you know, who they pair people with. I mean, that's just, that's the way, I, you know, they, they would never pair you up with somebody that did what you did. You know what I right. mean? Like like if, Caliendo. Right. Of
0: wouldn't.
1: course, of course. And, that, and then if they did that, that would be a bad booking on their part because they didn't do research
0: on who you were. Right. Right. So that, 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 that's my thing. Yeah, and I think, well, and I think true uh, <clears throat> with that, it's, it's also, you know, it's the headliner's job to bring them home. Like, if you mm-hmm. can't follow it, then that's shame on you. You know, uh, I would try to, you know, um, like sometimes I'll, I'll ask, is there anything in particular that's like your signature fit, or so that I don't step on anything? If it's someone I've never worked with, like, you know, and they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, I won't do this voice that touches Right. Like that. You know like i try to be respectful that way but for the most part i would want to do what i do and was somebody like you said like a, a a brian you know regan or whatever you definitely you know kind of listen it,
1: and i remember i remember brian when i was working on cruise ships and i would do 50 or i do 10 minutes up front and then the headliner would come on and do 30. now i did more shows uh but they did more time right so i remember sometimes you know after shows you know, comics would come up to me and they'd be like, hey, don't get them all wild up. Don't get them this, don't get them that. It's like, well, hey, listen, first of all, you're making double the money than I am. You're also doing less shows than I am. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this crowd on board. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that always offends me too. It's like, you know, you're making way more money than I am. You know, you should be able to, and by the way, if there's an issue here, like if there's an issue in terms of like you not wanting to follow this, let you switch, and I'll, I'll take the extra money. Exactly. There's no problem. Yeah. there's there's no problem with that. I'll I'll do that. You know, so you know you, you know how it is. I mean, listen, I you don't mean to be egotistical, but you know, if somebody has a problem following it, then you know, let's switch. There's no no right. issue in it for me. I don't have an ego attached to it.
0: Right, and it's it's always you know for me. I've always want to be the best person on the show. Of course, like, regardless, you know whether and I I do want to I do want to be better than the headliner because that's how you become the headliner.
1: Of course, and why should you, you know, listen, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, we don't want you doing this, this, and this, and then you go out there and subconsciously all you're thinking about is not doing that. Right. Well, then it's not going to be good for the show. It's not going to be good for the audience. I mean, what good? It's 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 a lose-lose.
0: Yeah. So I, I revise my answer and I say that uh, I would absolutely uh, <laughs> do what I do in, in that scenario.
1: And by the way, we're in Appleton, Wisconsin. I mean, you know, it's right. like, well,
0: hey, hey, listen, at the end of
1: the day, if the club doesn't have me back, they're probably doing me a favor. You know what I mean? It's just like, it, it's fine. You know what I'm saying? Like you, there's, there's nothing better than kind of being at that Ralphie status and being like, Hey, I don't care if we, I never come back here. It's okay. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. This is, you're doing me a favor by not having me back. It's great. Right. You mean I don't have to come back out for $400, no airfare in a condo. You know, it's okay. like, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'll stay home. Yeah.
0: yeah. Of course. That's... So, um, you know, we talked You talk a little bit about the uh, the kind of bagging on uh, a, a comic, and and the general rule is, you know, you, you try to be that professional, and because we all have bad sets, we all, you know, whatever. And it's it's that sort of like, okay, let's not insult the comic too much, but like you said, there's there's that balance of like, when they do so bad, you have to, like, the audience knows it, you know it, and you can't. Especially as a a host, um, you can't lie to the crowd. Well, if
1: you come out there and say, how great was that? Or how about a round of applause? I mean, you're insulting their intelligence. I mean, it just like, it looks terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, did you steal that coffee mug from a local diner? (laughs) 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 Oh, my goodness. That looks like something that you get at Norm's. You're just like, this service stunk today. Deb, (laughs) grab one. We're taking these home. Yeah,
0: I have not, the uh, <laughs> I have the uh, salt and pepper uh, holder in the other room. So.
1: That that's what you're going to start bringing to the restaurants when they start opening back up. <laughs> exactly, you bring your own glass. I just saw that. And I was like, that looks like every mug at any diner that I've ever comes. Yeah. to. <laughs> I got
0: I got a bit pure ones uh, going out of business. Yeah, so. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you this: let's uh, let's uh, rewind a little bit. How did you get the, into comedy? What inspired you to to start stand up?
1: Well, I think for years and years and years, I was the class clown in school and just always the the goof around. And, you know, I think, I think the funny thing was looking back on life is that my parents would always get upset with me for just being a screwball. However, I got good grades. So that balanced things out. Cause if, if I was messing around and getting detention and getting suspended, which I did and had bad grades, that would have been, you know, two strikes, but because we had something, I don't know if you guys had this in, in school. Did you guys have a citizenship grade, like one through five, where it was no. based on how your behavior was? Okay, so we had one through five. One was the best, five was just you were out of control. So it was weird that I would get like A's and B's, and then like a four or five in citizenship. So my parents would always have trouble looking at that and being like, well, he's doing well. I know he's being a disruption, but you know." They, I, I, I remember one time, my mom always had my back because I would get in trouble a lot. And I remember one time back in, I don't know, my junior year, my senior year of high school, I got suspended. I was suspended for like three or four days for calling one of my teachers a name. And I'll never forget I was off for three or four days. And Brian, I lived in a small little court with, you know, a bunch of other houses of kids that went to my school. And there was nobody around. Like ever because they I... gonna call
0: again. Is he gonna call again? Oh,
1: oh no, no, oh, I hear? You. Yeah, but I I I Okay, good. Um, So (laughs) it was was funny. It was funny because what happened was I was home all day. My mom worked during the day, and then my dad would leave for work at, like, three or four at night uh, in the afternoon. And what happened was there was nobody around, just nobody. And my dad, like, never put two and two together that, like, why in the world is Gary home from school? Where are all these other kids? So my mom always covered for me, which was kind of a nice thing that she did. It was pretty awesome. You Uh know what I mean? So. You know but but it was hard it was hard to argue so i, I was always kind of the class goof up and then um I, I mean just so many things like just looking back you know i'll never forget there was a uh a time in high school where me and my buddies okay I, I can't believe i'm sharing this story but me and my buddies worked at a sporting goods store and you know we would you know take a couple of things here and there right like just you know like like sneak them out the back door and uh So I'll never forget this, bride. We we would take stuff, you know, just just dumb kids. Right. Right. And I remember one time, this is no joke. One of my accounting teachers called me out into the hallway and he said, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on. He said, I kind of have a feeling I know what's going on. But if you guys keep running your mouse the way you are in class, you guys are going to get caught and something major is going to happen. So I'm just telling you, not as a teacher, but as a friend to just keep it quiet or knock it off. Like he was being very heartfelt like this, you know what I mean? Right. So I come back into the classroom and everybody's like, Oh my gosh, what did Mr. Rody say? What did Mr. Rohde say? And without hesitation, I said, he needs a size 11. <laughs> and, and like, that was, and you're like, what do you do? Like this guy was wanting to help me. You know what I mean? And this was the payback that I gave him. Like, just right. threw him right under the bus. Like, oh, well, screw him. You know what I mean? Like, and he looked at me like, well, what, what why am I trying to help you? You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, I just, I just remember that. And then I remember, I remember going to college and then like, you know, like all kids, like, you just don't know what you want to do right out of college. And this, this just shows you how much, how much patience my parents had. Cause out of school, Brian, this was crazy. I, I got a, a degree in journalism and right out of school, I got a, a job working for a small newspaper in Northern Michigan. That doesn't happen. I mean, at the time when I graduated from college, not only were people not getting jobs, they weren't getting jobs in their field. I got this job and I hated it. I At least I thought I hated it. Brian, I swear to God, I worked there three days, three days and I quit. <laughs> I quit. And, and even the guy said to me, the editor, and I was making like $8 an hour, which isn't much more than I'm making now. But, um, he, he says to me, he's like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to quit? And I was like, absolutely. And I just remember then getting a job working in the accounting department of a property management company, but using absolutely zero skill set of my degree. Right. And, uh, I, I was there for a long time before I decided to move to California. And when I got out here, when I lived in San Francisco with my brother for a little bit, I saw an ad for a guy that was teaching comedy classes. And I was like, huh, that sounds kind of cool. It sounds kind of interesting. And that was kind of my first foray into getting up on stage and kind of doing it, you know? And it, and it was funny, as you know, because we, we joke about this because you and I taught stand-up together, which is how we became close friends. Um, but this guy was teaching classes uh, as a seminar. He was doing a big seminar. And, I saw the number and I just missed the seminar. It was like the Sunday beforehand when I saw the ad and I called him and I was like, Hey man, I missed the seminar. He's like, you're in luck. I do private sessions. And I was like, of, of, <laughs> of course, course you do. do. Yeah. yeah, of course. I, and then Brian, this was back before like internet or, you know, email and stuff. So I, uh, he sent me a packet of what he does. And he said, you're exactly the kind of person I'm looking for. And I was like, what? Cause I have a checkbook. Like, what, what do you mean? I'm looked? at, how, how would you know that based on the, 30 seconds we chatted on the phone. Right. So I, I, I did those one-on-ones for a little bit, started doing stand-up. Then I took a bunch of time off because I was just unhappy and I, I wasn't good. And you know the game when you start, like you go to a club or I'm sorry, like a coffee shop and you're the first one there, yet you're the last one on. You're just like, well, wait a minute. I was here like three hours before you started. Why am I the, and then you realize it's a game of people who know everybody and they're going to let their friends up first. So I remember stopping, doing a series of just horrible, unfun day jobs. And, um, it was at, at some point where I was just like, I'm going to move to LA. I just, even though I was very comfortable in San Francisco and I was getting work and it was a small, great little local scene, I just felt like you couldn't do anymore. I just felt like, you know, what more can you do here without uh, just being like the top dog in San Francisco? So that was why I kind of was like, I, I, I got to move down. So I'd been doing stand-up maybe four years from 1998 to 2002. And then I was like, I'm going to move down to LA, even though none of my friends were doing it. I felt like, screw it. I'm, I'm going to run that risk.
0: Right. What was the, um, what was the difference in the, the scene from San Fran to LA? San Fran's got a, a long history of, of, uh,
1: yeah. I mean, listen, there, there, you know, again, San Francisco, you're that big fish in a small pond down in right. LA. Nobody cares. And so, what I found myself doing, I remember my brother helped me move down and we rented a U-Haul and I found a roommate on Craigslist and I was living in Santa Monica and, you know, had this great place by the beach. Uh, but it was crazy because you couldn't get stage time here in L.A. You just couldn't. And I just remember, which is is where I met you, because I would drive from L.A. to Orange County to do stand up because mm-hmm. it was easier to get on stage. Now, the ride was brutal, just the drive getting down there. But at least you were waiting in your car and not at the specific club or the coffee shop. Like to me, I would rather sit and and not play the game in LA, but, but you know, cause you and I met at some of those like Terry, the funny plumber shows and like these Mm -hmm. weird, these weird rooms, like, you know, AA clubs and you know, all this other stuff. So to me, that was kind of a cool way of avoiding that line that was up in LA and then just got better from there. Just, you know, would get more stage time, uh, from, from that area. You know what I mean? I'll I'll never forget somebody, somebody we know, uh, was up on stage at a little coffee shop and someone went up on stage and said, um, they went to a gas station and they asked for a key to the bathroom. They handed them that big hubcap with the key on it. And, uh, this buddy of ours looked at me and just said, I can't believe he's doing that joke. And I was like, I know, right? Like, like laughing. And then he's like, That's my joke. And I was like, <laughs> I thought, I thought we were going to agree like that that was a bad joke, but he looked at it like that was that was my joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I by the way, I remember there were times on the road where I had no material and I had to stretch and do 30 minutes. And I remember asking uh, Steve Maison if I could, you know, use a couple of his jokes while I was on the road. And he said, Yeah, absolutely. So I remember doing a couple of Steve's jokes and I remember when my wife and I went to go see the premiere of Steve's movie, dying to do letterman right. and in there, he's obviously doing a bunch of stand-up, and he does one of the jokes that I used to do. And my wife looks at me and was like, I thought that was your joke. And I was just like, Oh, sweetie, not even this, is, you know what I'm saying? Like there was a long issue of me having, you know what I mean? It was just right. really, really funny. So, you know, that's, so when I finally moved in 2002, I just felt comfortable. And, you know, I got a day job when I was down in L.A. And it's crazy because I I worked at this same day job when I was up in San Francisco. But it was a different division of the company down here in L.A. And I got to tell you, Brian, the beauty of that job was it was a one-person office, me and my boss. He was gone all the time. Like he almost kind of had this thing down like I did. You know, like the minute he left, I would leave. Because right. it was a sales job, so you'd be expected to be out on the road. So the minute he would leave – I would start going and going to TV shows, TV tapings and just start watching people do audience up, And that mm-hmm. was kind of how I got into, you know, the gig back in 2003 because I was just out there researching it when I should have been at this right. day job, which was crazy. Cause I was getting paid. You know what I mean? Right. It was insane. Yeah.
0: That's so funny. Uh, so when, when did things start to kind of, uh, click for you a little bit up wise?
1: Listen, I got really lucky in terms of being in the right place at the right time because for, I don't know, maybe three or four times when I was up in San Francisco, I worked with Brett Butler. Mm -hmm. So Brett Butler always asked for me, always said, hey, I want Gary to open, whatever it was. So when I moved down to L.A., I got a call from the improv and they said, hey, Brett Butler wants you to feature for her in Ontario. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is such a, a big move. And I'll never forget this, Brian. And, and it, it was kind of a game changer. That specific weekend that she had asked for me, I was supposed to be out in Omaha, Nebraska, for this training seminar for the job that I was working. Mm. And it was just—it was it, this this gig came up very last minute, as you know they do. I mean, right. it's nobody's ever giving you three weeks notice. Uh, so I remember calling Steve Mazon, a friend of ours, and I said, "I don't know what to do. I got to be in Omaha like in three days." And I I just got this offer that could, you know, maybe change things, maybe not change things. I don't know. He said, did you move down to L.A. for a day job or for comedy? And I said, well, comedy. So here was the greatest thing. I had to call my boss, one person office. I remember sitting in the parking lot somewhere and I remember calling him and I got his voicemail. And I said, hey, TJ, unfortunately, I can't make it. Something boom, boom, boom. He never called me back. I knew he was pissed. Here was the best part, Brian. I did the weekend with Brett Butler, all went great. On that Monday, we're both sitting in the office. He walks in and he said, I'm so disappointed that you missed the weekend of training. You missed some great stuff. We're gonna sit down and talk about it at lunch and I'll go over everything that you missed. And you could tell he was upset and he was a nice guy. Right. And to this day, I still talk to him. So I felt like it was that kind of whole dad thing where you disappointed him. The funniest part was, Brian, we never ever talked about it again. So almost like he knew, almost like he knew that it was You're nonsense. Yeah. Yes, it was nonsense. But he felt like he had to discipline me and be like, hey, we got to talk about this. We never talked. I remember because I remember the phone rang and I grabbed it and I said, hey, TJ, it's for you. And he's like, we'll talk about this at lunch. And we never talked about it again. And that Brett Butler weekend led to me auditioning for regular spots at the Hollywood Improv. Hmm. At like, I, I auditioned at like three o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday uh, the guy who was booking it um, said, you know, he offered me spots right then and there. Because, again, you're going up three in the afternoon in front of a room of all, all of the comics. It's brutal. Right. I think the thing that helped me was I played off the fact that, hey, this is going badly. Don't worry. I'll edit in the laughs. I'm sending this tape to Letterman. It was all just nonsense. You know what right. I mean? And and somehow it worked. And uh, from there, it was just a crazy kind of, like, it was a crazy kind of, like, couple months because I got past the Hollywood Improv and right at that moment I got the gig doing warm up at the late late show with Craig Kilborn. Hmm. So like two great things happened at the end of 2003 which was pretty amazing and it was that gig which paid nothing that I just said, you know what? I'm going to throw it to the wall and quit my day job. And I did and I just it, even though it paid very little, I was just like I got to do it. I right. just, you know, and and listen, there's certainly been times over and over again that you look back and you're like you know, hey, there's going to be another day job out in the future for you, but you hope because you've been doing it for so long that maybe, you know, you throw caution in the wind and everything is going to be okay. Yeah. That's,
0: uh, that's funny. It's, those are, it's it's always an interesting story to like hear when, when things start to like shift over to full time. Um, so yeah, it was, it was
1: an interesting time. It was like, you know, this very, very cool, you know, and, and by the way, I was the second guy in the Warm Up World at the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn. So there was another guy who was the full-time guy and I was the stepchild. So I would always go in when he couldn't do it cuz he had a sitcom and he was making way more money. And the truth was they didn't like me. They they wanted Roger there full-time and right. w- were never happy with me. They I think, you know, Craig would look and be like, "Oh, Gary's here." Uh, you know what I mean? Like right. I don't think that they they were happy that I was the lead guy and it wasn't until I got My first real gig, which was my own gig at last called Carson Daly, where I felt like, wow, I can breathe a sigh of relief because this is my gig. I'm not sharing it with anybody. Right. And that was, you know, and I have a funny story about how I got that gig, which is funny because at the time they were auditioning people to be the warm up for that show. And. I was so kind of unhappy in that late, late show environment, whether it was Kilborn or Ferguson. Um, I just, I wasn't happy because I was always the underling of somebody. Right. That when Carson Daly was moving his show from New York to LA, I started making calls to New York, like leaving messages for people. Hey, I know that you're bringing the shot to LA. I would love to be considered. Boom, boom, boom. And I randomly got a call and they said, we want you to come in and audition. We're gonna do a couple of test shows. And I'll never forget this, Brian. Uh, one night we were doing two shows, and I only did, did the first show, and there was another warm up doing the second one. I don't remember who it was. So I do the first one. The audience loads out. They're going to come right back in and see the second show. Like it's going to be the exact same audience seeing the second show, but it's going to be the new warm up, right? Okay. As I'm leaving, the crowd was like, Hey, man, you were great. We'll see you back inside. And I was like, Oh, guys, I'm not doing the second show. There's another guy doing it. And they're like, Oh, man, sorry about that. And I said, hey, guys, just so you know, the producers thought you were a little too loud, just a little too loud, a little over the top. Can you guys pull it back for the second show? And listen, I don't know what they did or if that got me any further ahead. But I just remember getting the gig and just being like, hey, maybe my throwing the next guy under the bus system worked. You know what I mean? It was just I was like, listen, I want to move into my own place. I got to figure out what I need to do <laughs> to get this gig, which was, and listen, it worked because, like, three days later, I got a call saying that, hey, you're the new guy, and that made me feel so good. I was that's, so happy.
0: That's a yeah. That's yeah. so funny. I, um, <laughs> I always wonder, the, the, the differences in, in, like, crowd warm-up, like, because that's something, I just talking to the crowd, did you... Always talk to, uh, do crowd work in your stand-up? Was that something you incorporated? What kind of brought that in? Because that's like, I am petrified. Well, l- listen,
1: I, I've said this a million times. The reason I started doing audience warm, or the reason I started doing crowd work is I just didn't have material. I, that was the whole okay. reason. I just I just didn't have enough material to fill a feature spot, whatever. I just so I started going to the crowd and hoping for the best. So, you know, that was really the only reason in terms of, like, you know, not having the time. That was it. And then... I remember seeing somebody do the audience warm up. I, I, I remember I was down in LA when I was still living in San Francisco. I was down in LA seeing a taping of the tonight show. And I remember I flew down cause Howard Stern was going to be on the tonight show. So I flew down and as I'm waiting in line, um, they come up to us in the audience. They say, Hey, Howie Mandel's got a daytime talk show. Um, do you guys want to come sit in on it before the tonight show? We'll get you out in plenty of time. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but they were obviously short audience members, right? Right. So so I'm sitting there in the audience. I see some guy come out. He's like, hey, where are you from? What's going on? Oh, you live in, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, I, and I was just like glad. I was like, what is this guy doing, right? And then I went to go see the Tonight Show. They had a guy. And I was like, what is this job? That's kind of a cool thing. So when I finally moved down to L.A. and started researching it, I was like, oh, this is a full-time profession. This is kind of a cool thing that, you know, you could get involved with didn't know much about it until I started hanging out at the late, late show and kind of watching what that guy did. And the only reason I ended up getting that gig was because Roger had another uh, kind of a, an underling that filled in for him and they weren't happy with that person. So they were looking and I was in the right place at the right time. They auditioned me and two other guys. Fortunately, uh, Roger was the guy that kind of got to pick who got the gig. So, you know, I owe a lot to him and I owe a lot to uh, Steve Byrne because Steve was the guy that got me my very first sitcom. He was the guy that got me Sullivan and Son, and I had never done a sitcom before. And those are a lot harder because, you know, those gigs take four or five hours to tape, and you got to just be out there over and over again just entertaining them and keeping that energy up, even though the show's taking a while to film or even though the show might not be as funny as they had hoped it would be. And listen, Brian, a lot of these new shows, nobody knows these shows. Nobody knows the actors. They take forever to film, and you're just out there just – you know, but but I will say that Steve's show got me so many other gigs that you know I'm so beneficial because of that. It just led to you know other sitcoms, which are hard to get into.
0: Right. I was going to ask you the the differences between like sitcom versus like I know you did infomercials. I know you did. Uh, you know. <laughs> oh, uh,
1: listen, <laughs> listen. listen. Yeah. Well, you're the only one because <laughs> there's there's like because th- listen, you know the reason Kilborn was this good for me as it was because on Conan, I do 15 minutes. That show starts right on time. There's never a delay. There's never a hiccup. It it moves. So, so it's the script that I do is, is very routine with Craig. You didn't know how much time you were going to do. You didn't know if he was backstage, if he was still getting ready, if the guest was late. So there were times I'd do 15 minutes. There were times I'd do 30 minutes. And again, I didn't have it. So you were forced to stretch. Now, most shows are pretty structured. Most of the talk shows, but with a sitcom, because they're refilming those scenes over and over and over again, you could be out there for 45 minutes before Mm. they start filming the next scene. And you know, that's what becomes brutal. And I remember when Steve asked me to do a sitcom, he said, um, they're going to call you and they're going to offer you the job. Well, the producer called me and he said, I gotta be honest with you. I can't hire you. You don't have any sitcom experience. And I said to Steve, I was like, well, they're not going to hire me. And he said, it's my show. Like I, of course, they're going to hire you. So if it, and listen, that was another show that that gave me that kind of structure of having to fill so much time because it was a brand new show and we stretched. We, you know, listen. It, there's there's nothing worse than that first scene, which is called the cold open, taking an hour and a half to film. I mean, you got to remember, Brian. These people get there at like three, four o'clock. They load in. Show starts at six. Now it's seven thirty, and we've only gotten through one scene. You know, I don't care. You, how many dance contests can you do before this audience is like, this is a scam? Like, what, what are we – they're using us. I mean, why are we here? And, right. you know, the, the idea is like, hey, guys, wait four more hours. We'll toss you a uh, half a sandwich and a, a small bottle of water. Like, it's like it, – it, it's a tough thing for an audience just to sit there. You know what I mean?
0: Well, especially, like you said, if it's a, a show that's new and nobody knows anything about – Nobody know knows. Or don't know the actors –
1: yeah, listen, I'll never forget the one time I was doing a show and I was interviewing an audience member and Roy Wood Jr., who was on the show, yells up to the guy, hey, what do you do for a living? And the guy said, I just got out of prison. And you're like, oh, well, that just sums up the audience right now because you're like, they're they're here to make money. Like They they, they have to hire paid groups that will sit and fill the seats because people just don't know the show. I mean, listen, Friends, Big Bang Theory, Mike and Mike, like, There's a waiting list for those shows. I mean, and those shows could run eight hours. Nobody cares. Right. Nobody cares if there's food. They're just excited to be there. They flew in, you know, from Michigan to see the show. But these other shows, they're hard. It's, you know, listen, Brian, it's a Tuesday in February. Who's coming out? You know what I mean? Like, you know, people are gone and they want to go see Ellen. I mean, that's the bottom line. Right.
0: And it's like, she's not available. Here, come see this other thing.
1: Listen, I'll never forget. There were days working at Carson Daly that unless he had a big band on, like Fall Out Boy or Panic at the Disco, the, the last three rows would be empty. I mean, it would—it was crazy. You know, you wow. would—you would just see empty chairs. And you know, when you're trying to fill up or, or, or warm up an audience with, you know, so many less people, it's insane. I mean, that that vibe is gone. You know, I remember one time I was doing the gig. I was doing the warm up at uh, uh, Carson, Carson Daly, and I had to announce that the band that was supposed to be there. Canceled and literally right in front of me, Brian. I see people walking right out like they didn't. You think they cared that they were being right. rude? Like they walked out right in front of me, they were done. Right. They, you know, so there are those moments there. There's also those moments where you pull up and it's like this huge band, like Green Day, and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm here working, getting to see this band. This is right. pretty awesome, you know what yeah. I mean? That's a pretty cool thing where you're doing virtually nothing. That's that's pretty cool. So, yeah, those, those are great days,
0: yeah. So, what is uh, um, what is I see a lot of comics try to do crowd work and they they fail miserably. What are what are some of the, the issues or, or what what kind of advice do you have for for comics? What do they do wrong a lot of the times when dealing with? The crowd
1: well, work? listen, you know, it's one of those things. It's it's one of those things where, and I know this will happen once the state order gets lifted, once people are back to work because they can't get road work. I get hit up all the time about people saying, "Hey, you know, I want to be in town more. I want to be with my family more." Audience warm up looks great. How do I go about getting it? Or can you recommend me for a gig? Not even like, hey, can I come watch you? Can I see what you do? It's right. all like, well, you're doing it, so I assume that I can be doing it as well. Right. You know, I would never say to somebody working a cruise ship, hey, well, you you're on cruises. I mean, we're the. I like it, it, it's very insulting. Like, Brian, yeah. yeah, you do you you do impressions. I I can do that too. It's it seems easy enough, right? right. It, it's it's very. What people don't realize is you've worked twenty plus years perfecting every nuance there is. And it just, you know, it's that thing, but you know, so, so what people don't realize is it just, it's it's hard because what com- what most comics see is they'll come in and watch Conan and they'll see, it's a great day. The audience is great. You know, this, that, and the other thing. And those are the days where they're like, I can do that. I can do it easy. What they don't see are the days where the audience stinks, the producers yelling at you, the script is bad. It's taking six hours to film this thing. The actors don't know their lines. That's when you're getting paid your money to do what you do. I mean, those are the brutal days. And again, I've been doing it for so long that it just becomes second nature. Now, you know what I'm saying? Like, Listen, I can tell when the, the audience is watching the sizzle reel before we start. Boy, oh boy, they're not upbeat. They're not laughing at parts that I know they should be laughing at. So I got to go out even harder. I got to go out with guns blazing. I got to make sure that I get this crowd because, you know – the the good news is with a with a talk show there's always a show the next day so there is kind of a little bit of a pass but with a sitcom they're only filming 22 episodes so you got to remember Brian if the the audience stinks it's a whole another week before that show gets in front of another audience so right. they're stewing on how bad it was throughout that week so that's the problem that you face they're like oh my God well we that audience was bad and listen I I've been on the reverse side of it where I've gotten calls from shows where the audience was bad you think they care that the writing was bad or the show was bad or right. you know the actors in other lines they're like hey we're gonna have to let you go and we're like well wait a minute yeah i don't think anybody that does warm-up can save this show it's like it's the, the world of audience warm-up is you're always the last person thanked when the audience is great just to, you know when mm-hmm. the audience is bad you're to blame when the audience is great they were just good you know right. so I, I i think that people you know this brian when we first started doing stand-up people would take these road gigs and they would start featuring and and they'd be like oh i can go out on the road and just feature but yeah. it's 30 minutes i'll just do crowd work it's just like but do you realize like how bad that sounds you know what i mean you can't do crowd work it it's like no i mean there's a a, a skill set to it
0: right i had a comic tell me um once he goes well i i can headline i, I it's a 45 minute spot Right. Twenty minutes of material, and then I'll just right. do twenty-five minutes of crowd work. And I like, "That's not how that works." They they really believe
1: that they really. Yeah. But you know, in fairness, if it's if it's one of those lousy casinos or lousy bars in like northern Oregon, great. You're going to get what you pay for. If you're going to pay somebody seventy-five dollars to drive up, that's what you're going to get. You know what I mean? Right. But but you know, when you're putting, you know, that, that's why I always love these clubs. It's like you know, they, they haven't bumped up the money, but yet they want you to be better than you were the last time they saw you. You know what I mean? It's still
0: the same from the '80s.
1: Like, it's listen. It's crazy. Listen, I got into it one time because I was working at a club with Steve, and it was a uh, a club here. It was a club here in uh, uh, L.A. It was Ontario. It was the Ontario Improv, and uh, you know, listen, I've known that manager out there for a long, long time, and I was working with him, and it was an eight o'clock show, and I reached out and I said, "Hey, I'm going to be there right at eight o'clock," and he wrote me and he said. Um, Hey, just so you know, you should be here 15 or 20 minutes before the headliner. And I said, for $50, question mark? And he said, <laughs> oh, well, if that if that's your attitude, you don't have to put in for avails anymore. And I said, dude, I didn't put in for veil. Steve asked me to do this. And I said, I would love to know any of your other openers that work your club that just finished working for a TV show that are now coming out for, you know, one twelfth of the money. You know what right. I mean? Like, like you're busting my hump for this. I, it doesn't make sense. And like, I'm going to be there. I'm going to give you a great show. I'm coming from LA. By the way, if there's an issue, why don't you put me up at a hotel the night before? Why don't you? You know what I mean? Like, there's right. always that thing. And, and I just, I'll never forget that. I was just like, you know, for. And I said, the only reason your other openers are on time is because they live with their parents. They're they're going to be right. there because they want to start sucking up your alcohol for free. Right. right? They're not I mean? doing anything. They're not working. They're not. They're not doing the thing. So why wouldn't they
0: be there? Of course. Yeah. That's so crazy. Um, so bringing that back to uh, to stand up a little bit, uh, I always I always hear this a lot, and I know you probably do too. There's that fear from the audience of, like, I don't want to get picked on. Right. What, uh, what advice do you have for audience members to uh, when interacting with a comic who's doing crowd work so that it's uh, bearable for them?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the best thing to do is just go along with it. I mean, you know, the thing is you don't want to try to upstage the guy because I before I started doing comedy, I started doing that. Like I'd start messing with the headliner when I go would, go see a show and they would just tear me up because that's their gig. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, um, I, the, the idea is just to have fun. I, I know that guys, you know, if there's like for me, for example, I won't pick on a group if it's all guys at a table because there's that, that testosterone mm-hmm. and they're like, hey, I'm not going to go with one of these guys and then just get th- the crap kicked out of me. I'm just not going to do it. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, I, I always try to make it like a guy and a girl or you look around and see who's kind of like they're they're already having a good time and they're into it. You know what I mean? Like that's who you go for because you seem to think that they have a good sense of humor. You know what I mean? Like once right. time I was doing crowd work and I was going after the guy and the girl who was with him, like behind him was like this, like, you know, like, like going like that. And I was like, huh. And I will say, you know, I've done this before. Like, instead of like, if I see that they're pissed, I'll jump off. Like I don't feel the need to be like, or, or if they say something funny to me and they rip on me, I don't feel like I have to be that guy. That's like, "Uh, uh, Oh, I'm getting you better. Like I will always take the line and be like, I gotta be honest with you. That was better than what I had. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing wrong with that because What's, I don't see anything wrong with that. I thought it was, it's fine. You know what I mean? Uh,
0: and it, dif- it diffuses the, the tension or whatever. The crowd laughs. You laugh. You look like a good dude. You know, you look more likable, more, you know, humble. And it's-
1: Listen, I'll never forget. I was doing warm up on a show and it was all paid audience members. And I was talking to a girl in the front row. And uh, I said, uh, I said, um, who's got a boyfriend? And the girl applauded. And just I was just being a jerk. And I was like, sure you do. And she's like, <laughs> she got really mad. And she's like, When's your baby due? And I was just like, like she was making fun of my weight. And I was like, okay, I got to end this very quickly. You know what I mean? Like I just got to end and diffuse this situation because you're sitting in the front row. I'm going to be with this girl for another three hours. We have to do something. So, you know, and and I, it was the best way to handle it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. You just got to kind of take it and run.
1: Yeah. I listen. Th- those comics were like, oh, I got to get the last lap. I don't really feel that way to be honest with you. I listen anytime, you know, that, that or, or like what I'll do is if, they get the better of me. I'll give them a high five and then I'll be like, Oh, I got lotion on my hands or something stupid. And then that kind of diffuses that, but I'll never, I I never really just viciously do it because I want them to have fun at the end of the day. That's the goal. You know what
0: I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What is the, uh, what is the worst show you've ever had? Everybody loves these stories. I think it might've been with you. Wasn't it
1: where we were in San Diego and we heard that they were kicking people out and then, we were doing a show and there was nobody, nobody there. And then like, like uh, they, they let, they let people leave. And then remember the guy started swinging on the windows with like a baseball bat. And then somebody yelled, this guy's got a gun. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Didn't you and I do that show? Um, I was there. Yeah, I was there. I was yes.
0: thankfully. And I, I took off because I was like, that's on <laughs>
1: so. and, and And then I remember like, they, they cleared everybody out and they're like, Hey, let's do a show for these people. It's like, What's, I mean, listen, there's a million of them. I mean, there's a million, there's you know, that one, um, you know, so many, like, like, uh, to me, the funniest thing is when you go on the road with a bunch of buddies, right. Right. And everybody bombs, but one of the buddies, and then you're driving, you're like, man, that audience stunk. And and, and the one buddy who killed was like, I thought they were pretty good. You're like, <laughs> no, 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 no. They were, they were bad. Like the only reason they laughed at you is your jokes are hacky. You know what I mean? It's right. just like, it, it is always that ego thing of like, oh no, 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 They were bad. Um, Listen, when I did warm up, I had so many issues where, wow. I mean, there were just so many times where um, I remember uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt was on Carson Daly one time and there was just dead silence in the audience. I was like, oh my gosh, I got to get something going, like some energy. And I started applauding just randomly. I don't know why. And Carson Daly looks up and he's like, why are people applauding her dog dying? Like, it just showed you how little I was listening. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I remember at Craig Kilborn, I had people would jump up out of their chairs and run down the stairs like they were on The Price is Right. And a buddy of mine said, don't do that. Somebody's going to get hurt. And I was like, what do you know? I mean, I know what I'm doing. And inevitably it happened. Guy twisted his leg. This is when I first started. And he's like, hey, I need to talk to the paramedic here. And I was like, paramedic? And I was just like, here's a free CD. Go sit down in your chair. Like, I was just like, "Like I didn't know any better, you know? And it's Hi. it's like, you know, I, I you also find this out too. You also find out... I remember a couple of times doing shows where during a dance contest, somebody would fall, like they would slip or whatever,
0: right?
1: Nothing would happen. you okay. Everything's great. They'd get home and all of a sudden they call the show and be like, we're injured. And you're like, wait a minute, injured. I, I saw you leave. I saw you walk out. And it's because the family then says, Oh, you got hurt at CBS. They got money. Yeah. it happens all the time you know what i'm saying you're you're not gonna report a uh, a fall at uh, at my house you know what i mean because i have no money but like but but cbs is conglomerate of course they got cash you know what i mean right. it's always funny to me so i mean there's there's a million of those i mean they just you know but but it's why i love what we do and it's why i love you know that we have such a great gig where i know so many people working right now that once this pandemic ends they got to go back into the office and right. they're regretting it you and I are like, let's get this over. I'm ready to get back to work. Like, I'm ready to start doing what we love. I mean, this is, you know, just killing me.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you remember this. We did a show, um, and it wasn't necessarily anything you or I did. You were you were headlining, and I was hosting the show. And the guy before you, I won't say his name, but kay? I think you probably will know this already, went on stage, and there was a, there was a table of um, uh, African-Americans – uh, table and the, it's important for yeah. the story um the only right. reason i say that uh they were they were kind of chatty throughout the show and so you know there are ways to handle that and the guy before you went up and was like i'm gonna take yeah. them out and this is oh. a white comic i remember this he just started going in and going in hard on the race yeah got really tense Really, really fast, and the staff was like, "You need to do something, right?" And I remember this. Was, they started standing up, and they were shouting, and it was—he was trying to be funny, and it—it it didn't go well at all. Badly, badly. And then, uh, so, I'm like, okay, let's—I had to walk up and pull him off stage. They—they they cut his mic, turned the music on, and I went up and I was like, "Hey, you know, they told me to, you know, we're gonna pull you, man." And he's like, "I haven't finished my twelve minutes." Right. I was like. Yeah, you're right. You're having, you know. <laughs> like, but, but, but but we know this,
1: too, because I remember how badly that went. And and that just comes from inexperience. That's just, you know what I'm saying? Like, that just comes from, you know, that idea that maybe it worked once before or maybe, you know, because you've seen that over and over again. Maybe it's worked once before. But you're like, this isn't working now, which is not it, this isn't a good situation. You know what I mean? It's just not.
0: Yeah, it was it was really awkward, too. And again, I don't do a ton of crowd work. Uh, because I just generally don't enjoy it. And when I started, you weren't allowed to, you weren't allowed to do uh, crowd work in Boston. So it wasn't a skill I ever really developed. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was always just like, just tell your jokes. And that's just how I kind of got trained. And that's how it always was. And so I was like, all right, well, okay. I apologize for that. You know, I just tried to like settle it. Cause it was really tense. I was like,
1: oh, it was bad. I mean, um, it was, it, it was the, yeah. the tension in the room was brutal.
0: Yeah, and so I, I tried to, to make a joke uh, out of it, and it, it didn't go that well. And I was like, okay, hey, listen, I know that was really awkward, but we got this one guy, our last comic, super great guy, and I just perform, I, I just hugged. I, I remember uh, that the, the troops, because I was like, the troops will get him back. He just got back from performing for the troops, and this guy's awesome for the troops. Like, you know, <laughs> I was just like trying to get yeah. the, at least be likable, so that you had a chance to dig out of that. That's right,
1: because point. at that point you're just like, "This is horrible!" Like just right. knowing you got to go on after that, you're like, "What's happening?" You know what I mean?
0: And this was the end of the show, so it wasn't yeah. a chance for it to build back up. You know, there and-
1: was no no chance. I, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. That was yeah San Diego.
0: And you well, and I noticed you you altered a little bit of uh, you're going into the crowd at that. You know,
1: yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's crazy. I mean, but but again, that's just literally just inexperience. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. Just because he just thought he could pull it off, and he couldn't. You know, you can't. Yeah. And then once you get into that, you're like,
0: "Well, I'm committed," and he stayed. Of course. In, and it was just he should Absolutely, it. yeah, I know. You you take
1: that loss and you go, "Okay, learn." Of course, yeah. There's another show later. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so, but
0: yeah, that was uh, that one just sticks out in my mind. Oh, pretty- I remember it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty brutal. Uh, let me ask you this: What is the best piece of advice you got about uh, either uh, either comedy? Yeah, let's, let's stick with stand up. What's the best piece of advice you ever
1: got? Well, I think the best piece was that there's no substitute for getting on stage. None. I mean, it's just like, you know, which always fascinates me with these guys who are like, oh, I'm not going to go out and perform. I'm just going to write. I'm going to this. I'm going to that. It's like, you got to get out there. You know, and, and these guys who tell you they got 80 new minutes but haven't tried any of it. It's right. it's brutal, man. It's like, you got to get out on stage. You got to try it. You got to see what works. You know, but, but most comics don't. Uh, listen, I... I i've seen it over and over again they just don't want to put the work in and then you know you see these other guys that are hanging out every sunday night at the improv they're hanging out here they're hanging out there but you know for the most part people people are lazy they just they they think and and part of it is because social media has changed the dynamic of things or youtube and all this other stuff where people can post a video that goes viral and that's a game changer for people but you know there there's just no substitute for just getting on stage and performing that's the bottom line and people just feel that there's a shortcut and there isn't
0: Hmm. we're gonna be uh wrapping up in a few minutes but uh one one more question for uh with all the years you've had of audience warm-up or or stand-up or both what do you have any funny like audience member stories that you were just like this is amazing
1: um yeah i mean yeah there's been listen there's been some good ones i remember this is one of my favorites when i used to work at the carson daily show I used to do a dance contest and it was always two hot chicks and some bigger guy from the Midwest that was in his fifties, right? Always. So inevitably what would happen is the two chicks would go crazy and dance. And as that second girl was dancing, I would always whisper to the guy. I would say, do me a favor at some point during the dance, take your shirt off. (laughs) And I don't know how in the world this would happen, but they would like nine out of 10 times these guys would take their shirt off, man boobs hanging out, and they'd start twirling around their shirt. It was the greatest. So what I would do is I always would give away a gift card to, like, like Taco Bell or um, El Polo Loco or something like that, right? So one day I was running late, and I had to get a gift card, and I didn't uh, have any. So I stopped at El Polo Loco to grab a gift card. The line was huge. So what I did was – you know how in the front you could just grab one, and they're just blank. They're just blank cards. So I just grabbed one, and I was like, I'm just going to give this away. Nobody uses these things anyway. They're just, you know, nobody's using an El Polo local gift card, especially when I tell them it has $5 on it, right? Right. So I remember going to the show. There was a guy in the front row who I was talking to. He was from Pittsburgh, nice guy there with his family. And I told him I was going to be at the Pittsburgh Improv in a couple weeks. We exchanged phone numbers. He said, I would love to see you, please. You know, maybe we could do dinner before the show. Great. He then comes up, does the dance contest. I hand him the gift card. Everybody laughs. It's $5. I'll pull a Loco. Boom, boom, boom. Really funny. Then later that night, I'm at the grocery store and I get a call from a 412 number. And I was like, that's Pittsburgh. He's like, hey, Gary, this is uh, Steve. We met a couple hours ago at Carson Daly. I'm at I'll pull a Loco right now trying to use this gift card to buy dinner for my family. There's no money. on it." <laughs> And I was like, two things. First of all, he's got my number. Second of all, I can't believe anybody in the history of me giving these cards away is trying to use it, right? Right. Because I announced that it's $5. And then he says, is there anybody here you can talk to to clear the gift card? I'm like, who am I going to talk to? You know what I mean? For $5. For $5. And then I just remember thinking he's going to call the show. He's going to call the production office. He's going to get some way – Meanwhile, the story ends where I never ended up seeing him again. I just felt so bad, you know what I mean, that, you know, it's it's just the bizarre thing that happened, you know, with an El Polo Loco gift card. But it was one of my favorite kind of memories of, you know, giving this lousy gift card away and there was no money on it. The one time, you know what I mean?
0: That's hysterical. Yes. buddy. So, if people want to uh, find you on social media, they can check out uh, your website, which is uh, www.garycannon.com. C-A-N-N-O-N. Yes. Yeah. Follow you on Instagram and Twitter at cannon comedy. Yes. All one word. And um, let's see. We're gonna. So I just say put that out there for them. And then I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about um, this uh, organization, this uh, charity organization. You do a lot of work with, and because that's one of the things we do here. And it's called uh, The Little Red Dog. And- well,
1: yeah, I do I do stuff for multiple dog charities. But uh, okay. uh, this is the one that I uh, – there's a lot of them. But I don't know what happened when I became this kind of, like, crazy, crazy dog lover. I mean, I've always had dogs, but never to this crazy extent of fostering and, and just being involved. And, you know, you and I talked about this a couple of days ago. I, I, I'll get – because my wife and I have too many dogs right now, I, we just can't take it anymore. So – My new thing with any dog rescue is I transport dogs. So if somebody calls me and they say, hey, we need you to pick up dogs from here and bring them to there, I'll do it. Anytime I'm free, and now that we're mainly free, I do it more than ever. So I just got hooked in on this thing. And I got to tell you, there's just nothing better than pulling a dog out of the shelter and putting them in the backseat of your car we always stop at McDonald's, primarily for both of us. Right. I, always, I always get them burgers and then bring them to either a kind of a, a mediary spot where they're going to go next uh, from there to another place or to a new foster home. And, uh, man, I get hooked every time. And it's, it's crazy because last week we housed two pit bulls that were tied to the side of the road in Santa Ana. And there there were these two beautiful dogs. You're like, who could have tied these dogs? I don't know what the situation was, but now they're with an amazing family in Washington State. So when you kind of see that stuff and you see where these dogs go and this great new life that they get, like, to me, that's, I, I, I look at things back in life and I obviously want, you know, people to, you know, remember me as a comic, but I also love this idea of, you know, Gary being this huge animal advocate and I, you know, I really, I I try to do as much as I can and, you know, our house is literally, you know, a playground for these dogs and, you know, listen, if, if you know, I'm, we can get in trouble for the amount that, you know, we have, it's insane, you know, but I will tell you, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, in fact, look, I'll show you this guy, if you can see him. Hold on, let me see if you can see him. Come here, Bubba. I don't know if you can see him. Oh. So,
0: <laughs>
1: so that guy along with this guy. I don't know if you can see that guy. See that guy? Those two, those two were abandoned, walking the streets together, and uh, a rescue pulled them, and uh, they said, can they stay with you short-term until we figure out a better plan? And I was like, absolutely, of course. And so, you know, it's crazy, because we can't, let these two interact with the other dogs. Cause the one dog that the first one I showed you, um, is just not good with other dogs except his buddy. So, right. you know, it's, it's in, I, I will tell you, I'm surprised my wife and I are still married because of all the chaos. It's, it's crazy. But I remember Brian, one time I rescued this 85 pound shepherd from a, a shelter in Palmdale. I brought him home and literally four days later I was on the road for like two weeks. And Michelle's like, what are you doing? Like, I love this dog, but like, this dog's chewing everything in the house. Like you left me with this mess. And I was just like, I know. And then it's just like, but then you see the dog sleeping at the end of the night and you're like, everything's great. Like, it's just yeah. like, I, I love it. So I try to do as much as possible. You know, I, I we do these telethons for the dogs. Uh, you know, there's just, you know, I, I work with pause for life, people's buddies, you know, it just, it's one thing that I absolutely love doing that. I feel like I can do a lot of, especially now by the way, driving in this town, I was telling you I went to San Diego to pick up dogs. Like, that's two hours. Like, when when there's regular life going on, what is that, five? I mean, it's yeah. just insane. So really- I'm able to do it more because of what's happening. And listen, I, I really believe once life gets back to normal, which will be soon, we're going to look back on this time and be like, wow, I didn't realize how valuable that free time was to everybody. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, I know people are out of work, whatever, but... I'm we're, we're trying to utilize every single minute that, you know, we have for the most part and watching a 90 day fiance. That's another uh, guilty (laughs) plan. Yes. That's what we're doing. So
0: my hope out of it, and it's kind of something that I want to bring more into my comedy is I hope it gives people a chance to reflect on where they are in life and what they're doing and uh, maybe just to chase their dreams. Kind of like you were at that crossroads of like, you know, do I go for training or do I go for comedy? Like, oh, this is a great chance to sit there and go, okay, yeah, i always wanted to write a book or I always wanted to open a, a coffee shop or a, a, a flower store or whatever, like whatever it is. Like, this is a great chance to kind of reset your life, find those yes. values and priorities and, and go for it.
1: Well, it's funny you say that, Brian, because my wife is a great uh, baker, bakes great cookies, brownies. And I said, now that she got laid off, I said, now's the time you know, you're fortunate enough that you're getting unemployment, you got to be just getting your brand out there. Like this is the time. I mean, again, we're not going to have this time again. It's, you know, so you got to get moving on it. And, uh, you know, I I get, I get a little frustrated when I hear people, and these are people that have, you know, a savings and are healthy and, you know, they have a, a nice life and you call them and I'll be like, Hey, how you doing? They're like, I'm bored. And you're just like, Listen, I, I don't see how that's possible. Like, I can understand you get depressed a little bit. I get that. I mean, it's it's the nature of what's going on. Right. But, but you know, you, you got to just keep doing – like, there's just no reason. It's like you got to – we're not going to have this time back. So that's why I love doing these certain things because it may – listen, when these guys are sleeping and, you know, it, it's so funny. One of the, the big dogs that I just showed you was crying at like 3 in the morning because he had to go out because he was – it wasn't feeling good. And you gotta remember we have all these other dogs in the house. So all of a sudden it's three in the morning, Brian, and I'm shifting everywhere. Like I'm sh- like some of the dogs are in the bathroom. So blah, blah, blah. And just to get this one dog out so we can go to the bath. It's like it's crazy. You know what I mean? Right. But I wouldn't have it any other way. It's awesome.
0: So yeah, it's um yeah, and after we were supposed to record yesterday, but you went we yeah rescue. Yeah. So we we put it off so that uh, you can go rescue. Yeah,
1: it. we got six little puppies from uh, uh Mexico that came out over the border. It was great.
0: Yeah. So lastly, I guess, uh, for people who, um, love animals, love dogs, whatever, like what are, um, how can they get involved?
1: Listen, I think the best thing anybody can do is foster a dog. There's always a shortage of people that are willing to foster, even if it's for a couple of weeks, that that's the biggest problem. The shelters are a little clear right now because more people are fostering because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But what our worry is is that once things get back to normal, people are going to give those dogs back because they, they're not going to be home and can take care of them. So what we're hoping is if, if you can foster for a couple of weeks, I mean, there's so many dogs that are just, you know, needing to get out because they've been there for a while. We I got to tell you, Brian, we have a dog right now who was in the shelter for a year, a year. Think about that. Think about what you did last Memorial Day. it was in the shelter for a year. The notes on the dog was he's got a biting issue, behavioral problems. Boom, boom, boom. We get the dog home. He's amazing. You know, you put put a dog in a little cage and try to pull him out by the the collar. Yeah, of course, he's going to have behavioral issues. We pulled this dog out; he's been nothing but amazing. I mean, it's like so. You know, I'm not saying that there aren't those issues because there are, but I think people are so quick to judge. Like, oh, this dog's got issues. It's like, not really. You know what I mean? Like, there. I've seen so many of that where they say that the dog isn't that good, and then you pull these dogs out; they're amazing. Yeah. So that would be the one thing if, if people can do anything and, or if they can go to places and walk dogs or do whatever, like even that little kind of stuff, like, or, uh, donate a bag of dog food somewhere to a shelter. Like all that stuff is just amazing and really helps.
0: That's awesome. And, uh, again, people can check out the, the little red dog.com yep. go to Instagram. And
1: on there, Bri is, uh, uh, dogs that are available for adoption too.
0: Oh, very cool. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Oh, they on Instagram, little red—the little red dog. Twitter at uh, little red dog inc, and uh, inc. And there are plenty of shelters out there. no matter oh, way, so many that that you can do. And if it well, I always know, laugh
1: at that too. There are
0: cats. There are there are rabbits.
1: They're Everything. Rabbits. There's rabbit. I know. I always laugh at that too, Brian. When I see like dogs that are being posted and they're in like L.A. and somebody will write, "If I didn't live in Minneapolis, I'd come get this dog." It's like. Yeah. But there's shelters in Minneapolis. Like, right. go get yeah, it's like, it's a lame excuse. It's, you know, I, cause I see this too, where dogs will get a lot of money, uh, through fundraising. And then the minute the dog gets rescued, they're not donating. It's like, well, wait a minute, but the dog's out now. Why aren't, you know, cause right. I think they want to be kind of big spenders in the moment. And then once it's over with, they're done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that it, just those little things, fostering is great dog walking all this whatever it's you know just those little things and you know uh, again that's you know if you're a dog lover and you can't maybe have a dog in your house or whatever but there's other things you can do that are just as good and you know people want to reach out to me through my website um that more than welcome to and
0: that's garycannon.com there's uh instagram and twitter uh, at canon comedy gary thanks buddy for coming on and i want to thank, thank you, you. For, for tuning in um Pleasure having you, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, getting back and uh, doing some shows with you. And uh, let's uh, let's do this again soon.